0: Snark production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday the 17th of June. Tom Tilly here, joined by Jan Fran. Jan, you're talking about the Olympics, but not the Tokyo Olympics.
1: No, ma'am. We're talking about the Brisbane Olympics, oh, yeah. which, hey, they're not a thing yet. They could very well be a thing in 2032. So on today's show... What will the Games mean, not just for Brisbane, but for that entire southeast region of Queensland?
2: I've travelled the world for 25 years and I have to explain to everyone where Brisbane is. They know where Sydney is, they know where Melbourne is, so this will be the change for them. It'll just have the city not be a big town anymore.
0: Go Brisbane. Do you think it'll top the Sydney 2000 Olympics or the Melbourne 56 (laughs) Games?
2: Well, it's definitely going to
1: try to. So we're speaking with five-time Olympian Natalie Cook And maybe stoking some of that state rivalry a little bit later in the show.
0: Alright, first the big headlines.
1: Well Sydney has recorded its first cases of community COVID transmission in more than a month um, with two new cases found yesterday.
0: Yeah, it was yesterday afternoon that the health authorities uh, revealed that a man in his 60s who works as a driver for international air crew had tested positive for the virus. And then the second case was found last night in a person who lives with the man in Sydney's eastern suburbs.
1: Yeah, now these new cases have led authorities to issue a whole raft of alerts for places that were visited by the positive cases and um, with a movie screening at the Bondi Junction cinema topping the list of venues of concern.
0: Saw a great Batuta post yesterday saying um, Gladys Berejiklian held a press conference saying she's going to lock down the whole state based on this one case, including regional areas where they've had zero cases, <laughs> and then <laughs> jokes saying, no, 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 we'll never lock down.
1: Wow, I think that's a, that's a small... Well, not-so-subtle troll to Victoria, isn't it? A little bit.
0: Yeah, hopefully um, New South Wales people aren't laughing out the other side of their face if this turns into a massive cluster, which we all hope it doesn't.
1: Indeed. 2.2 million workers will get a pay rise. This is thanks to a lift in the minimum wage, which will rise from $19.84 to $20.33 an hour July. So this means that the full-time minimum wage will be $772.60 per week.
0: In announcing this 2.5% rise yesterday, Fair Work Commissioner Justice Ian Ross said strong economic conditions meant the raise was larger than the 1.75% last year.
3: The current performance of the economy has exceeded expectations.
1: Yeah, the Australian Council of Trade Unions though isn't happy with the rise it had been calling for a 3.5% pay rise um, to keep up with what it says is the cost of essential items.
2: There can be no recovery without a wages recovery. When we suppress wages, it hurts the whole economy.
0: Yeah, so that's Sally McManus from the ACTU. So they've been calling for 3.5. The Chamber of Commerce wanted 1.1. We've ended up at 2.5. So it's a reasonably good outcome. Uh, The unions have also criticised the decision to delay the raise until November for COVID-affected Industries like the airlines, hospitality, fitness and tourism.
1: Yeah, and I think the theory there is that they haven't recovered as well from COVID and so they're waiting to see what that recovery process is like before implementing that raise.
0: Lawyers for the nine newspapers will get a chance today to question Ben Roberts-Smith in the former SAS commander's ongoing defamation trial.
1: So the Victoria Cross recipient um, will be examined by lawyers for the newspapers after spending a week being questioned by his own lawyers. Now, he's suing nine newspapers for defamation. He says that he was falsely portrayed as a war criminal um, in articles that were published by the group.
0: Yeah, the last few days of hearings have seen the 42-year-old deny allegations of domestic violence and also admit to using burner phones. But he said he did this because he was afraid of being hacked by reporters.
1: Well, the ceasefire between Israel and Hamas has been broken with both sides. Again, trading attacks yesterday. <laughs>
0: So that's the sound of Israeli airstrikes, which Israel say were targeting Hamas positions in Gaza after the Palestinian group sent firebombs attached to balloons into southern Israel.
1: Now, the balloon attacks uh, were in response to a march of Israeli nationalists um, through a disputed part of the city of Jerusalem. They do do that every year. It's largely seen as a provocation by Palestinians in the area.
0: So it shows how tenuous that ceasefire is that mm. attacks have started so easily again. And this is also an interesting test for the new Israeli prime minister. So after 12 years, Benjamin Netanyahu, who was our as leader, has been replaced by a man called Naftali Bennett. And people will be watching closely to see how he navigates these tensions.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, he's a former tech entrepreneur. He actually entered politics to serve as Benjamin Netanyahu's chief of staff, so he worked under him. But he's considered uh, more to the right of Benjamin Netanyahu, so he's quite a nationalistic guy. Um, He's been very open about his desire to continue expanding settlements, particularly in the West Bank. And so he, at the moment, is ruling uh, this very diverse coalition of leaders. Israel just went through this period of political turmoil. Um, They had election after election. They finally settled on this diverse coalition of people. Naftali Bennett's going to be the Prime Minister for two years. He's going to then hand over the leadership um, to a man called Yair Lapid, who's been described as a centrist. So there's certainly a bit of volatility going on in Israeli politics at the moment.
0: The US President Joe Biden and the Russian President Vladimir Putin have described their first face-to-face meeting as constructive.
1: Yes, that's, um, that's not a bad way to describe a meeting. Uh, Putin responded to claims of Russian hacking of the US by saying that his country is actually facing similar attacks from America. What do Russian authorities have to
2: do this? We face the similar threats and we see where these cyber attacks are launched from. We see that uh, these attacks are coordinated from the United States territory.
0: Putin's claim comes after the US said a cyber attack that shut down the US's largest gas pipeline uh, last month came from Russia.
1: Yeah, now they also talked about um, human rights, in particular the case of the jailed opposition leader in Russia there, Alexei Navalny. They talked about being um, nuclear powers and the responsibility that comes with that. And they said that they were going to send experts from either country to determine what was off limits when it comes to cyber attacks. That's the theory. How that will work in practice in the next few months and years is yet to be seen. I told President Putin my agenda is not against Russia. It's for the American people. Yeah, President Biden there. um, The last time that Vladimir Putin met a US president. It was Donald Trump in 2018, and they are far more chummy than what he was with President Biden here. Um, they spoke for a lot longer. Biden spoke with Putin for
0: less than four hours. Isn't that a lot, four hours? How long did he speak with Trump
1: No, for? his advisors actually say that less than four hours was actually quite a short meeting. Oh, he had dinner with Trump. He presented Trump with a soccer ball. He had a joint press conference with Trump. This one, they had separate press conferences. There was no dinner. It was in, it was out. It was pretty brisk. And as Putin described it, I suppose, constructive.
0: I guess a lot of Americans would probably think that's about the the level of closeness you want with the Russian leader rather than getting too chummy.
1: Well, depends which Americans you speak to, I suppose.
0: All right, in just a moment, Jan, you and Katrina will take us to 2032 in Brisbane, which is a very exciting proposition.
3: Hi, Katrina Blowers here. Well, this is a hotly contested golden ticket and it's being framed as a game changer for putting Australia and the city of Brisbane on the international map.
2: So we've hosted the AFL, we've hosted cricket here, but for the Olympics, this is front and centre. Opening and closing ceremonies, athletics, you name it, it's going to be the best.
1: Yes, that was Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk there after the International Olympic Committee Last week, back to
3: Brisbane to host the 2032 Summer Olympics. Such good news. The IOC president, John Coates, though, says it is not a done deal just yet, but it's looking really hopeful with only the Sunshine State Capitol now proceeding to that all-important approval stage.
1: There were uh, five or six other cities in there, and uh, but now there's only Brisbane.
3: Well, if Brisbane doesn't
1: win that 2032 (laughs) bid, something's gone horribly wrong. Um, The nomination now goes to a full vote of all IOC membership countries in July. A decision is expected around
3: the time of the Tokyo Games. Yeah, so Australian athletes historically achieve their very best results at Olympic events that are held on home soil. We did so in Melbourne in 1956 and also at the Sydney 2000 Games. We had a record medal haul there.
1: Yeah, but for the city of Brisbane, look, it's often looked at as maybe the awkward or less cool sibling. I don't know if I can say that because I'm (laughs) not actually from Queensland,
3: but you can say that I'm from Queensland and it's a fact. We are often looked down upon by (laughs) Sydney and Melbourne for sure. So could this be
1: Brisbane's coming of age? You know, because the Olympics does bring with it big spending on infrastructure Mm. um, that lasts well after the Olympics has, has finished. And it does put a, you know, a
3: global spotlight and brings a huge party vibe to the place. So to paint us a picture of what a Brisbane Olympics will look like is Natalie Cook. Now, Nat's a five-time Olympian. She's a gold medal winner in the women's beach volleyball and the athlete ambassador for the 2032 Olympics bid, who's been involved from day one. So Natalie, Melbourne hosted the Olympics in 1956. Sydney hosted them in 2000. Is this Brisbane's turn to come of age?
2: It absolutely feels like it's Brisbane's time. It feels like the river city is rising. Now we don't want it to overflow the banks again, but we do feel like the energy in the city is rising and we've just hit top 10 livable city lists and we've got our fingers crossed for July 21 to be announced as Olympic City. So it's pretty exciting here in Brisbane at the moment.
1: Nat, are you telling me that Brisbane is now better than Sydney and Melbourne? Confirm or deny?
2: <laughs> well, I've been saying that for a long time. My volleyball partner Kerry Potter lives in Sydney and uh, we always start every single conversation with God's country is where I am. So, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, Sydney's an amazing city and it really, with the Olympics coming to Sydney in 2000, changed the game for Sydney And I think that's what we hope to see here for Brisbane. We have so much hospitality coming of age, which we've probably borrowed and innovated from Melbourne and Sydney. You know, our restaurant scene, our hotels, the casino coming to Queen's Wharf, the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast really coming of age too. So it really feels like one big region, which of course was the bid into the International Olympic Committee that it would be a regional game and we would encompass... Sunshine Coast and Gold Coast too, off the back of an amazing Commonwealth game. So I have thought for 30 years that Brisbane is the best, but we are just now coming into that, reckoning.
3: And I'd have to agree, Nat, because I moved from Sydney 10 years ago, and I can say hand on heart, Brisbane is cool now. Okay. It wasn't cool for a long time. <laughs> but wow. it is
1: now. Outnumbered. <laughs> Outnumbered
3: by the Queenslanders.
2: <laughs> yes, well, listen, yes. We've I... got Katrina. We've got Katrina
3: now. <laughs> you can't have a back. That's it. I, I'm not moving anywhere. So, Nat, tell me, I was a young journo covering the 2000 games in Sydney, and it was a huge party vibe, but I'd love to know for you... You've competed at 5 Olympics including Sydney where you won gold in the women's beach volleyball. What was that moment like being on home soil?
2: Yeah, it's one of those things that is so difficult to articulate. It was an emotional explosion of joy, relief, even, you know, frustration that when points didn't go to plan, when the game plan wasn't working, when you had 10,000 screaming fans on your side when you when you won a point, the stadium was electric. But when you lost a point, there were 10,000 people all depressed for you. Like, it just mm. was this roller coaster of emotion. As an athlete, does it feel different
1: competing on home ground compared to overseas?
2: Oh, absolutely. You played in Athens and played in Beijing, and you look up and there's five friends in the crowd rather than 10,000. Like, it really was completely different. And when you walk around the streets at home, you feel comfortable. You've got volunteers that speak your language. You've got volunteers that are cheering you on every time you walk past. You feel like a bit of a rock star for a while. but And that can put pressure on people as well. But if you learn to understand that they're only wanting the best for you and it can help you lift a few points, then it's so much better. Mm. 150 million times better to play at home than to play in any other city.
3: Now, you've been behind this Brisbane bid from day one. Tell us a bit about your involvement.
2: Well, it really started with uh, Lord Mayor Graham-Quirk at the time, six years ago, and he had an idea uh, that Brisbane would come of age if we were to host an Olympic Games. So there was a feasibility study done with the South East Queensland Committee of Mayors, and so he gathered all the regional mayors together and he sort of put this up as something he wanted Brisbane, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, Toowoomba area to be involved in. And they all backed him. Uh, John Coates backed him who's the uh, president of the Australian Olympic Committee and also the vice president of the International Olympic Committee. And they went to work. They then had to convince state government, federal government, and really the International Olympic Committee, just recently when there were a series of meetings which uh, I was involved in, they said they've never seen a level of commitment and collaboration from three different levels of government. So it really has been a team effort, is Brisbane ready for an event like this? And if not, what does it need to do
1: to get ready?
2: Well, I think it is right now. Uh, we have had to put up pages and pages and presentation after presentation and videos of our great city. In the Because normally the International Olympic Committee members would come and visit Brisbane. But what COVID's done is clearly changed that. They weren't allowed in. So we had to create videos, flyovers, drone videos, walkthrough videos about all of the venues, like every single one of them that we would use. There's had to be financial guarantees. There's just so much done where I feel like we're even ready to host now. We have 85% of the venues, which is part of what the IOC have called the new norms.
3: Because that's left over from the Commonwealth Games, isn't it, Nat?
2: Absolutely. So that was part of it, and that's why ultimately – host big events like that to show that you can grow and step into the olympic games which is the largest sporting event in the world we are ready the people are ready we know we won't have a problem with volunteers everyone will come running to get their shirt and that bum bag that's the best part of the <laughs> volunteer kit. Get Your bum bag bring the bum bag back and, uh, the they're in fashion now <laughs> That's right. I've kept all mine. I've dusted them off and there's, there's, I look good. Mate, if there's no
1: bum bag in 2032, I'm going to be profoundly
2: disappointed. <laughs> well, I'll be pushing for the bum bag. I'll also be pushing for, in the village. The athletes get a doona, right? They get a, like an Olympic collectible doona that you take oh. off your bed. Now, because it will be end of July, August, it will be a bit colder, but this is the only city that can host the Olympics in the time frame. So in Sydney, they were lucky they got it pushed to September. Yeah. But the IOC has changed that now, and so you have to hold Mm. the Olympics within these dates. So sorry, Mm. Sydney and Melbourne, too cold for you.
3: That's the other thing we've got over wow. those southern capitals. The hey. Gloating
1: from the Queenslanders.
3: Now, speaking of the Athletes Village, that unfortunately, the Commonwealth Games Athletes Village has ended up a little bit of a ghost town, let's face it, not in the best location. The colour scheme is a little bit to be desired. So, what lessons do you reckon we have learnt from the Commonwealth Games that we can take into a 2032 Olympics?
2: Well, they're big lessons to learn, and they learn the hard way, right? Which is a little disappointing. I think with the growth of the region, and like I said, our real estate prices going a bit ballistic right now. I think the Gold Coast might benefit from that too. With hopefully, um, and they might have to paint. Katrina, are you up for coming to paint the outside <laughs> of those? <laughs> if I get a bum
3: bag and okay. a doona, I'm Okay, there.
2: great. I'll work on it. But this time for the Olympics, they really have the location. Let me tell you, it is prime. It will be highly sought after accommodation. The athletes don't have to travel too far from the main stadium.
1: It certainly sounds like an improvement to the Com Games Athletes Village, at least, just with those points that you mentioned.
2: I'm curious, what do you think this
1: means for not just Brisbane, but that particular region of Queensland, the southeast of Queensland? Because it's not just about having the Olympics, but, you know, it's the decade leading up to. There's $50 million that's being spent on upgrading community sporting facilities across the city. That's just one of the things that's happening. What does this actually mean for the people of southeast Queensland in the next 10 years?
2: It's an amazing opportunity to accelerate a lot of that infrastructure that we know Brisbane needs. Not only that, over half the world's population beam into the city. I've travelled the world for 25 years and I have to explain to everyone where Brisbane is. They know where Sydney is, they know where Melbourne is, so this will be the change for them. It'll just have the city not be a big town anymore. We really will become a world city and the infrastructure and the facilities and the vibe and the hospitality and the welcomeness of our Queenslanders will just tip it off.
1: Where are you going to watch the announcement? You said it's happening in July. You throwing a party
2: for the announcement or...? Well, right now I need a few holograms. I'm supposed to be in about three places for this (laughs) announcement. So, you know, um, uh, there'll be a group representing, I'm hopeful, in Tokyo. There'll be a group here at what we call the Olympics Live site and then there'll be parties that have been set up all around the state just in case. There's been long lunches prepared just in case we, uh, we get lucky enough to be called in Olympic City. It'll be pretty amazing. Well,
1: mate, we're all here waiting on the sidelines for it. Good luck. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie,
2: Lee. Yay. <laughs> Go Queensland. Go
1: Queensland. That was Natalie Cook, five-time Olympian, gold medal winner, extreme Queenslander. <laughs>
3: She's very proud, very (laughs) proud. I'm from Townsville, so I'm quite proud, but I think Nat actually supersedes me there.
1: I mean, I'm not even from Queensland and I really want this to happen as well. And, you know, bar a massive catastrophe, it
3: looks like it will. Gosh, we've put a lot of pressure on this now, Jan. Let's hope that uh, by the time this announcement's made, it is good news for the people of Queensland and Australia. Absolutely.
1: All right, that is it for our show today. Tomorrow... Shooting sperm to the moon. Yep, that's right. We're doing it in order to save our species, apparently. That's tomorrow's show. Catch you then. Listener.